0: In the 11 FS offices in London for episode 85 of Blockchain Insider, the weekly show dedicated to the news of where blockchain meets crypto and crypto meets institutions. Today we bring you JP Morgan do a coin, JP Morgan do a coin and JP Morgan do a coin. All this and more on today's Blockchain Insider. I'm your host, Simon Taylor, and I'm joined by R3's David Nickel. R3's David Nickel, how are you?
1: It's going well. It's been a fun week for digital assets, post-trade, and stablecoins.
0: Uh, right? I mean, if there was ever a rock and roll sentence, that's it. it <laughs> this is it. This is
1: what we live for.
0: <laughs> and the, the person laughing like a hyena that you can hear there <laughs> is the one and only Adam Davis, uh, head of delivery at 11FS. Uh, how are you doing, Adam?
2: I'm very well, thank you. How are you doing? And
0: doing well. Have you had a fun
2: week? I have had a fun week, a busy week, intense week. it's been uh, it's been great.
0: lots of client things to deliver. so ahead yes. of delivery been staying busy. That's the one. all right. let's get on with the news. Um this I mean, there's there's one story this week. There were others, but that we we thought we wanted to do a special on this one because unless you live under a rock, you might ha- have noticed that JP Morgan Chase uh, have uh, kind of come out and said we're doing a JP. Morgan coin as such. Um, so, the story we have here comes from Forbes.com, which actually has a, a pretty good breakdown. It quotes Jamie Dimon, the CEO of JP Morgan, saying, um, JPM Coin is currently designed for business-to-business money movement flows. And because we're still in a testing phase, we don't have plans to make this available to individuals. That said, the cost savings and efficiency benefits would extend to the customers of our institutional clients. Um, There were three key applications, number one was cross-border payments, number two was securities transactions, and number three was transaction consolidation. I guess, of course, this is set against uh, Jamie Dimon, have been an outspoken critic against Bitcoin in the past. There's been all kinds of reactions to this, and we'll get into some of the more fun ones a little bit later as we go on. But aside from those reactions, let's step through these one by one. Um, I'm going to start with you, David. Why a token? Why a coin? Why a blockchain? Surely, Swift payments work. Um, There are no problems with uh, cross-border
1: payments. We don't need no stinking tokens. (laughs) Oh, yeah. You can explain that to uh, all all the uh, corporates who lose payments, cross-border payments, or have to pay extra for the Swift tracking service that has now been rolled out. Um, and, and I think it's important to say global payments
0: initiative, Swift GPI, is an additional extra that banks charge their customers for just to know where their payments have gone.
1: Yeah, and, and if you think about Swift as a messaging service rather than a payment system, which is is really what it, what it is, uh, a, a tracking service is really useful. And that's why GPI has seen such great uptake. Um, and I think it will continue to see a lot of uh, great adoption for not just payment messages, but other messages, anything that banks have to send to each other around the world. Yeah. Um, but why, why a, a coin? Why blockchain? Um, I, I mean, this is basically a stablecoin backed by deposits on JPM books. So you, Whoa, step through that one, my friend. <laughs> uh, stablecoin. Uh, stablecoin. It's, it's uh, a blockchain-based asset uh, that is meant to be stable, fungible, and liquid enough to be used to settle transactions on a blockchain platform. Like a
0: dollar versus, say, a Bitcoin. That's exactly uh, which, right. Which is fungible, but it's not necessarily stable. Uh, a, well, a Bitcoin, one Bitcoin that does equal one Bitcoin, but, you know, compared to other assets,
1: it's considered volatile. That's exactly right. The the question is, what can you use as an asset to uh, to settle transactions of, of, of other digital assets, whether that's a Bitcoin or a tokenized bond or a tokenized uh, any other type of security or indeed even a tokenized bar of gold? So go back to that um, backed by deposits at JP Morgan. What does that mean? Yeah, so the simple implementation is that J.P. Morgan customers could come to their bank, deposit cash, and receive J.P. Morgan coins backed on a one-to-one basis by those deposits. The real intended implementation is for a J.P. Morgan customer using a blockchain platform to execute settlement in a blockchain-based transaction, which is what we just walked through. The representation of a settlement asset on ledger uh, is a key ingredient for atomic settlement, and, and that is the delivery of an asset against the payment in two legs that can't succeed unless they both succeed.
0: Well, okay. Um, Adam, why might somebody want this um, pseudo crazy weird sounding stuff?
2: Yeah, I th- well, I think there's a couple of things. I think, first of all, why call this a coin? That, that doesn't speak to me like this is a cryptocurrency, which is sort of where my mind goes when you call coin. So, so that's so- a
0: really important point, right? Because uh, the people are calling it a coin but it's still a token i would argue it's a token versus a balance and this is this is kind of the key for me right because historically the way banks worked is they record a balance right and i record the balance and the other bank records a balance and they we both record it twice double entry bookkeeping yep. or oh, it's going to get rock and roll today folks yeah, yeah, we're yeah, talking yeah. accounting <laughs> right now uh, so uh, double entry bookkeeping hard because I, uh, I tell you, I tell your bank that, hey, my customer intends to pay you and you go, okay, great. Um, then I go, great, I have moved one of the accounts. And then you go, great, I've moved one of the accounts too. And then I go, oh, I've moved the other one. And you go, I've moved the other one if there are no issues. So we've got four accounts to deal with just to get started. That's a lot of reconciliation. yeah. Which, which is hard enough. And then you think, well, actually, there might be a whole bunch of other actors in that. It's it's very rarely as simple as just those two. So having this thing where, like, if I give you my phone, you now have my phone and I no longer do, um, there's no such thing as that in the digital world. If I give you, if I send you an MP3, you now have a copy of that MP3 and I have a copy of the MP3. Yeah. I, and, and when you talk about at Swift being messaging, it's like email. So, this yes. idea of it being like a token yeah. is really valuable. But the term cryptocurrency, to your point, yeah. is so unbelievably loaded.
2: It's a. Um, so, when I, when I heard. If you think about the underlying structures that they've put in place, this is a the term coin indicates marketing ploy to get the sort of reaction that they did on social media and elsewhere over the last week. Um, That's me being relatively cynical, but I think even if you went into JP Morgan, they'd probably agree the same thing. Uh, If I go back in my time, you know, three, four years ago, when uh, banks were starting to look at uh, their payment systems and understanding which part of those payment systems you could potentially replace using a centralized ledger, um, everyone was kind of saying their bank plus coin was going to be the name and everyone was having a good giggle about it. You Mm -hmm. know, oh, wouldn't that be ironic? can, you know, this is literally doing that. Um, it's just because JP Morgan and the size that they are, they can probably get away with it. Um, the reason why this is really interesting isn't necessarily that it's a coin as so much, um, is more that um, it's kind of, if you think about the age-old process of how you send money internally... So you think about something that is called an honest transaction at a bank. which so is basically this
0: is JP Morgan customer to a JP Morgan customer. It, so th- th- what we would do before JP Morgan it, coin is an honest transaction. It,
2: exactly. And it's it's not even that. It, it could even be, and probably the most of their book is JP Morgan to JP Morgan. So yeah. you're actually just sending, JP Morgan sending themselves money um, across the world. So not necessarily in their jurisdiction, but, you know, into different ge- jobs. Yeah, they've got a bunch of
0: customers in one part, they've got a bunch of customers in
1: another, and they they... net up those transactions and move money between themselves. That's a key business area for any bank, but especially JP Morgan, because of their network, because of the the number of entities that they have in different uh, markets, they're able to avoid a lot of the problems in correspondent banking by simply putting it all on them, as you say.
2: Exactly. So um, the thing is, I think a lot of this cost that they're doing at the moment is via SWIFT so a lot of, basically at the moment they're paying an enormous well I say enormous amount of money I'm putting that in inverted commas because they move about six trillion dollars daily so the actual volume that JP Morgan are running and this is just absolutely insane um, but they're still paying a middleman to do this mm. um, and I think that's the key thing here which is how do you eliminate that middleman
0: well I guess it's not necessarily the middleman because as, as David said uh, the swift message is essentially sending an email but they're, it's the same as going outside your company to come back in and I think that's the point. As soon as you go outside to come back in, as soon as you hit the external network to come back in, you get all of the issues you would as if you were paying somebody else. You've got all of the controls, you're subject to all of the compliance. You get all of those headaches as if I were not paying myself. An honest transaction is as hard and in some cases harder than not on us transactions uh, because you're getting all of that headache and you're dealing with different jurisdictional kind of uh, process. Yeah
2: exactly you've got to replicate the kind of service you would get via a you know let's say a Visa or a Swift or whoever depending if it's going cross-border or domestic and you've got to replicate all the controls that they would offer you know basically for that fee. Um, So I think this is um, I think from their perspective it's uh it's kind of like a, a gpi which is sort of attack transparency it's definitely got that kind of play it's kind of a let's see how far they can grow uh, but keep it probably maybe kind of small at the beginning let's sort of test the yeah. waters test i the like market. that approach
0: yeah. uh, right, start i'm small. assuming
2: this because i haven't they haven't put out anything in terms of the roadmap that i've seen anyway you guys might be able to, might have seen something different but i haven't seen a you know we're gonna throw this far and wide um I would have thought they're going to start relatively small on this, which is why they're being a little bit conservative. You know, we're still in testing phase, et cetera, et cetera. But by the way, we could, you know, this could be absolutely enormous. Yeah. You know, we just got everyone talking and everyone going. Yeah. So, so
0: cross-border payments, I guess, um, if you're um, – if you're Coca-Cola, Pepsi, whoever you are, and you've got offices in multiple countries, like moving money between your regional kind of accounts is as painful, well, not as painful, um, but it's, uh, it's as costly in theory yeah. and, it's, um, and it has as much manual process as dealing potentially with two you know, top-end banks would. Uh, uh, because like, let's be fair, JP Morgan are known for being one of the more expensive players in the market, but also one of the highest quality, right? When it comes to international pay. They are known as the de facto standard. They could charge you more because the service is higher. Um, this really is interesting because they're almost disrupting themselves from a cost standpoint in terms of what they charge out and really driving towards that service angle, which which I thought was an interesting strategy. But I can see why a corporate would want that because if, if I'm just trying to move money between head, headquarters and a, and a branch, why should that be so hard? You're yeah. JP Morgan. You guys figure that out. right? Yeah, yeah. And, and this is moving that way.
1: Well, and to be fair, they haven't released anything about their uh, cost structure of the business case. Um, But what they did say was that they tested a uh, transaction between uh, a corporate and JP Morgan. So there are a lot of banks doing this internally to to improve their own book transfer system, which is is frankly today, outside of uh, the blockchain world, one of JP Morgan's uh, key value propositions. So it's, I, I think it's really telling, and, and I have to say props to uh, to Ollie and the whole team at JP Morgan for doing this with with a corporate account as well as the bank. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, think, I
0: think we saw HSBC with a press release of having yeah. done something similar recently. Yeah. Um, so there are other banks doing this yeah.
1: stuff, but to have done it with a corporate is the new bit here. Yeah, with, with a real client, it shows that they're really touching the, uh, the, the, the customers who care there, um, or the customers who matter rather. Um, I think the other point to the stepwise function in which this will be laid out um, and, and in which it will evolve is uh, compliance and the use case. So right. so currently it's starting small, starting quite closed, starting inside a network of participants who've been KYC'd. I think this is a really important
0: point. What it's doing today <laughs> I could possibly replicate with other technologies, but what it could do tomorrow is where, it, where things start to get interesting.
1: Yeah, and there they, they said in the uh, release notes that they do intend to um, to deploy this to other uh, blockchain platforms, other networks, other systems where this makes sense. And I think that's, that's again, uh, huge props to them. And it's something that everyone who is working with a settlement asset should do, or a settlement coin should do, which is deploy the the settlement asset where there are transactions that need to be settled, where there's a market of transacting parties who can benefit from that atomic settlement that we talked about. By default, um, huge scale in that
0: transactional banking business. Um, Benefiting from atomic settlement, talk to me about benefiting
1: from atomic settlement versus um, not being able to have atomic settlement. Yeah, so today when you settle a a transaction, a transfer of an asset from one party to another, uh, you create an obligation to settle um and and usually that's done it's Kind of like
0: a scout's promise
1: yeah exactly it's it's a contract mm-hmm. um and and that was um
2: <laughs> dip dip yeah yeah <laughs>
1: um so uh it creates the need to settle an obligation to settle um that obligation can be extinguished any way it could be extinguished with an ongoing debt that we just manage like a like a credit card account um or it could be settled um, in in real time with a with a delivery of of uh, the asset versus the payment all in one single transaction. The benefit of an atomic transaction is that you can reduce the risk, cost, and time mm-hmm. in that settlement process, in that post trade process, which today takes perhaps two days, or maybe you settle at the end of the day, but it's very um, but it's very expensive. If you try to settle intraday, that is during the the um, normal course of business between nine and five. Um, you often don't know when the balance is actually going to hit your account. So the ability to to ensure that when you settle this transaction, it is completely settled. It doesn't work for every business case, but it, it does reduce a lot of the risk, cost, and time so in the, the
0: system. So the big term out here is settlement finality. And if you talk to the folks at CLS, like settlement finality is this whole can of worms about I don't know when a thing's really finished. Yeah, because yeah. like um, there's there's all of these terms like completed, um, delivered, settled. All that sounds really, really final, um, but settlement finality <laughs> is this this subject that international banks and regulators have argued about for many years because we all keep a copy of what's happening and we all have to come to agreement about what has happened. Yeah. And the only way we can do it is by glorified emails, um, yeah. which is, yeah. sorry, Swift, but that's what a message is. Right? I was, was
2: going to say like the, the Swift version of this was basically a notification by the end bank back to the first bank if they could find them basically or messages just going all the way back mm-hmm. just basically saying that the transaction had happened and you can imagine like the um, the workflow on that and just how difficult well not how difficult because they've automated it obviously to, to a point but just how clumsy I guess that process is and how prone that process is to errors and that's just for transparency I know GPI has been looking at that um, but it's interesting in terms of you know if you look at these three use cases and you think about how the use cases, uh, I suppose, have spoken to the original incarnation of centralized ledgers and um, and how they could be the most um, the most usable, the most workable. That They speak to the three, really, that everyone was coming up with years ago. So cross-border payments, which was basically the one that everyone was going after. Securities transactions, you know, how can we actually get issuance um, up and right? You know, that is, again, everyone was looking at that like three, four years ago. And then obviously, you know, from a treasury function perspective, which is where the real money moves, you know, hitting that, Will not have any visibility to the end customer, but boy, that is like the golden source for for banks. That's where they want to. That's where they want to focus.
1: Yeah, and that, that's um, one of the keys to the settlement finality uh, bit that you brought up, Simon. Um, there's been tons of work uh, done by the industry as a whole to define what assets count as uh, for final settlement. Uh, the principles for financial market infrastructure lay this out um, pr- pretty well, and this is where I, I think it's interesting that they've called it. They've called uh, the J.P. Morgan coin a coin um because the uh the pfmi state that you should be settling in central bank money when you can um so it kind of shows that this is the the naming of it as as a coin and and not as um as reserves or as Mm. deposits or something that implies a bit more i think shows that um there's a there's a lot of room for growth
2: Ah, So you didn't think it was a marketing play (laughs) <laughs> yeah. yeah well I th- and i think that
0: that atomic settlement piece becomes really really interesting as well when you consider having risk and time was something that created an ability to charge for managing the risk yeah. and time yes uh, and i think the assumption that i'm and i don't wish to put words in their mouth because this is my speculation but i think the assumption in any form of transaction is ultimately that fees are on on the road to zero so the value you add increasingly comes from data about the transaction and I mean, what does that Enable me to do in terms of um, transaction consolidation, uh, in terms of being able to look forward. Like if I'm a corporate treasurer, looking back is nice, but looking at what's coming ahead is better. Um, you know, this currency pairing is about to become, uh, you know, has this likelihood of becoming more volatile. Uh, here, click here to just quickly move between your subsidiaries. Yeah. I think when you get from workflow to um the atomic settlement yep. and having that being able to move on more than once like it's nice to be able to do a transaction it's really nice to have workflow that can do four five ten fifteen twenty and can actually be uh, managing transactions as part of a more comprehensive contract yep. that's when things get exciting
1: yeah it's, it's not just that when when uh it's not just that you see what I see, and I see what you see. It's that you know that you know that when we both agree to settle a transaction in the future, we know that we'll be credited with the balance in, in, as soon as, immediately after that transaction, rather than wondering when the, uh, the counterparty's treasurer will get around to submitting the payment.
0: I really like this point that Lee Brain at Barclays raises as well, which is, a, in a perfect world, you'd create the one central bank to rule them all, mm. um, You know, it would, whether it's JP Morgan, the US Fed, or whatever. And it would run this service. Um, but actually, what you would have is something that's A, too big to fail, and B, becomes politically infeasible because there's no way you put it. So uh, in aggregate, centralization becomes inefficient Because what have I done? I've created another counterparty on top of the commercial banks. And I don't want to get rid of commercial banks because of their ability to create money supply, their ability to create credit. Because we saw what happens when credit is limited in the economy. Boom, the economy crashes. So there's there's a need for commercial banks. There's a need for not one bank to rule them all. So centralization can't work um, in the traditional sense. Um, and so therefore, even in a centralized service operator becomes highly regulated. So I need something that is less centralized, uh, logically, but I need to enforce a consistent design pattern across all of them. And this is where DLT comes in really handy. Because if I'm going to have a contract in which there's one payment every day based on the movement of an index. So the London interbank rate of uh, GBP USD moves. Therefore, I've got a a swap or something, and therefore I'm uh, moving things backwards and forwards based on them. I've got margin calls backwards and forwards. Mm -hmm. To have a contract that can do that every day and manage the settlement for me between accounts as and when I need saves me all kinds of middle and back office stuff. But what else does it give me
1: in terms of the data? That's where I get excited. Yeah, I think that the, the data is interesting, but it, you just talked about collateral calls or margin calls, um, and and I, I think it's important that commercial banks are still able to operate that business case that you talked about—the ability to create money. And there was a lot of uh, noise, a lot of reaction, asking about whether this JPM coin is fully backed and and what it's backed by. Um, and I think that people forget that uh, fractional reserve banking uh, actually does does play a role. Um, And as long as you can confirm that when you have the balance or or when you think you'll have the balance, you actually do have the balance. And when you post a collateral call, it's actually gone all the way through. uh, That's the real benefit.
0: But are we going to see more banks do this, do you think? Are we going to see JPM coin
1: competitors from other banks?
0: And uh, do the central banks ever play a role?
1: Yeah, so I I think we'll definitely see additional banks um, doing this. I, I, I think the A lot of banks have been um, looking at this for a while, and I mentioned the internal bank use case, Uh, and we've seen a lot of of banks try this out for internal book transfers, which has already produced uh, good returns for them internally. Um, I think that other banks will uh, take this design and see how it's applied, Um, and I think what we'll see are groups of banks, especially in the US rather than the EU, who uh, come together and pool collateral accounts, balance collateral accounts against each other, um, and, and back uh, settlement assets or, or coins uh, with collateral accounts that are not just from one single bank, mm-hmm. um, and I think this is just a sensible and, and really exciting evolution of, of banks providing settlement finality for for business transactions.
0: It's really interesting. I think when we look back on blockchain and DLT in twenty
1: years, people point to this moment. Could,
2: possibly, probably. I mean, again, I think I'm still um, I'm still interested in terms of the roadmap and the rollout. So I think there's a... Um, there's a long way to go. Th- there's a long way to go. Um, you know, a lot of I've read a lot of the reaction last week was around, oh, Swift should be really worried, Ripple should be really worried. You know, this is coming for their lunch and people were taking sort of different perspectives on whether you're attacking sort of Swift or Ripple with this. Um, I think there's a, you know, a realism that, you know, h- how much is this actually going to move the needle Uh, based on the amount of A, clients involved, and B, how how much of the internal use case JP is planning to solve with this. I think that for me, because that for me is probably the killer use case here for them at this moment in time, if they haven't thought about that internally at the moment. Um, And that I think would be, that'd be super interesting to understand. The other thing is to scale to the level that, what JP Morgan does at the moment from an international transaction perspective, et cetera. You know, this thing has got to be super powerful um, and it's got to have scalability built in, like to a fine, you know, infinite um, level. So how much does it cost to do that? Um, Where's that energy coming from? Uh, You've said energy a
0: couple of times. I think that's a red herring. Um, I think that energy only is an issue if you're talking about a public permissionless proof of work based blockchain which quorum isn't i think we haven't said that yet but this is based on quorum um to the best of my knowledge um and Quorum, of course, uh, came out of uh, a, a team inside of JP Morgan um, that have then open-sourced their code base, which also uses a, a lot of, uh, you know, it's inspired a lot by the work of the Zcash um, and uses zero-knowledge proofs in there. And they've basically created, uh, you know, you can go to the Git repos, you can go to the Quorum website. It works really quite differently to public Ethereum. Uh, but their goal is it's linked back to public Ethereum at some point in the future. So they have a roadmap in their head for how, you know, you could end up with, Um, Something that speaks to something that's more broad and more open, but you start with intranets, um, which which is kind of interesting. Mm. Yeah, it's um,
1: it's it's got a raft-based consensus uh, today, which is is really most similar to uh, proof of authority. Um, so uh, there was a lot of, uh, debate about, you know, is this crypto, um, and, and is JP Morgan really, you know, getting on the side of, of Bitcoin and, and you know, finger in the eye to, uh, to Jamie Dimon. But that's really not the case at all. Of course, for all of the, um, all of the POCs, all of the, all of the prototypes that are, that they're building over there, um, on the quorum side, um, for the ones that are, you know, pointed at enterprises, the ones that are uh, meant to handle institutional grade transactions, there's generally a designated party who orders transactions and ensures there's no double spending. Um, so I, I, I think it's quite sensible and I, I think that it will expand to other blockchain platforms as well. It's really about how um, JP Morgan and and its partners will be able to uh, expand the circle of, of KYC trust and um, make sure that there's no AML gap or any, any loophole there that could be exploited.
0: Uh, we're going to have to keep watching this. Um, we'll get to some people's reactions, but I'm just going to do the quick ad read and remind everybody that, of course, this episode is brought to you by the wonderful people at R3, uh, Todd McDonald. It's not just for financial services. Neither is blockchain. Um, tons of industries can reap major benefits across insurance, healthcare, pharma, automotive, you name it. Uh, you can discover the potential for blockchain for your business with R3's Corda platform. And, of course, you can find out more at r3.com. Alrighty, let's get to some reactions. Um, first one comes from uh, the wonderful Jameson Lopp, who uh, is worth following on Twitter at lopp. If you don't already, uh, his tweet reads. Banker stablecoins are a step forward, just as banker intranets were in the 1990s. Adoption of this technology will make the transition smoother when they are forced to capitulate and adopt the Internet of Money. Um, interesting <laughs> use of the word "capitulate" there, um, but I think that broader intranet internet point is one that's sort of stuck around as an idea for a little while. Um, do you? Does anybody in the room fundamentally disagree with the intranet internet analogy?
1: Well, I, I don't disagree with the analogy. It's, it's a good one to, to talk about how, um, how, how innovation spreads. But I would also add that um, bankers don't use the open internet for anything even now. Yeah, they um, use private wires, right? Ex- exactly right. So I, I think that the, uh, the, the metaphor is well taken, but it's, um, I, I don't think this is a, a sign that um, anyone's capitulating.
0: I and I think that's the key point here, isn't it? That um that I guess there is still this undercurrent of uh religion and religious war about what money could be and should be to society and a lot of the early adopters of crypto. Um that, that might not always be pragmatic.
1: Yeah, and I think this can be really exciting without um calling it uh, a crypto capitulation or or um JP Morgan adopting anything in, in crypto. I think we we just talked about a lot of the benefits that this um this this JP Morgan coin provides. Um, even though it essentially uses a, a proof of authority or a designated you know third party to order transactions so it's um it's uh, I, I don't think I quite buy the entire metaphor
2: great first sentence second sentence is uh, yeah slightly forceful I mean for, for me I think um, you know adopt the internet of money in my mind that goes to sort of cashless society what happens when um, stable coins are no longer pegged back to a you know, be it a gold, be it dollar, etc. I think he's probably missing the um, the bit in the middle, which is that would fundamentally destroy sta- stable coins themselves. So then, what actually happens? Well, he's assuming, I guess,
0: that you would never have a peg stable coin and you have a de facto gold standard, as you were saying. But I guess, um, there's this interesting question. So, the really interesting one that I keep bringing up as a seminal work is um, Bank of England Working Paper 605. Yeah, this is the most rock and roll show you've ever heard. Um, <laughs> Bank of, uh, in in uh, 2016, the Bank of England's economists put out a view <laughs> as to why, as um, what, why are the limits to how far you would go in terms of uh, kind of uh, access to central bank reserves versus uh, the gold standard versus, uh, and they discounted the gold standard for, for because reasons that they walk you through, um, and they discounted you know direct consumer access to central bank reserves because um, narrow money is something that has been looked at and considered in the past, and of course the role of money supply uh, of as, as we discussed earlier but i think it's interesting that there's um some similarities with um brad garlinghouse of course the ceo of ripple his comments are introducing a closed network today is like launching aol after netscape's ipo um two years later and bank coins still aren't the answer
2: Uh, It's the answer for JP Morgan right now to hit a use case where potentially they could save a lot of money and potentially then pass that money onto their clients who can then hopefully potentially pass those savings onto their customers. The
0: the interesting thing about Ripple is you can can look at their kind of uh, explorer and see the volume going through it on their public network. i would argue that whilst there have been some fairly sizable transactions that have been put through that network uh jp morgan could sneeze and do more in in, in half an hour um so there's a the, the real race is um i'd say they're at the same starting blocks that they've they've kind of got their opening position but neither of them has the real traction
2: i just i, I don't i and again you know going to the little level of detail that that disproves this. But for me, they don't seem like the same solution. You know, they are hitting a completely different use case. Um, Jamie Diamond, you know, J.P. Morgan have already come out and said this is, you know, an internal test. It's something which they'll perfect internally. And I think the, you know, if they were ever to permission this to, you know, the general public, if it was ever to go open, it will look completely different. Um, I, I, I just I don't think you're lining up apples and apples here. I think they're a completely different thing. So this
0: links to, uh, Fred of the show, Maya Zahavi's point, right? She says, most people are missing the point of JPM coin. It's built on quorum, meaning eventually there will be more participants on this chain, but that JP Morgan will issue zero-knowledge proofs of the balance for each coin. Remember, digital asset receipts integrated into each coin, uh, at least in in her theory. So this is kind of an interesting point that there's almost like um, Ripple, I think, have got that sort of um, let's start from the internet and work towards money. And I think JP Morgan have started at money and work towards the internet. And so they're different starting points. And uh, my tongue-in-cheek comments about Brad aside, I I think both of those approaches are extremely valid uh, and worthwhile. It's unclear which of those will win, but let's not dismiss out of hand the merits of the JP Morgan approach, right? I think there are values too it and the the inclusion of zero knowledge proofs
1: i think is a really really important point yeah and, and to to the um to the first tweet uh, I, I don't think that any of brad's tweets keep the jp morgan executives up at night but and i also don't think that jp morgan coin was you know, hoping to win over uh the the online community of of ripple users or or um cheerleaders um and I think I, I really like your, your analogy that uh, one is working from the internet, the other is working from money. And and I think that people are forgetting that the beginning uh, point of this currently experiment, but will be in production, um, is that you start with a JP Morgan account. You start with uh, being a known entity um, to the bank that's providing you purchasing power. I think that's a really powerful concept, being able to work on a, on an open technology platform, but with strong identity is something that's really resonating in the, the market. The classic Y Combinator is can the innovator get scale before the incumbent gets innovation?
0: I think the interesting one here is can the innovator get scale because scale in banking is the, there's there's all of the KYC, AML stuff that sits around scale. There's all of the laws and the rules and the nations and the governments. And the only real alternative you see is the the answer that doesn't involve governments, which is the, the Bitcoin answer and the stateless currency, which you can sort of say, in theory, I could see why that might be valid but there's already you know, ways to curtail that and, and manage it from a state level i think this the, the sort of the internet first messaging led uh methodology does i think the narratives around it miss that point um and and it's been sort of built from a technology purist standpoint rather than from a from a market uh reality standpoint that's that's my Perception and view. Um, I'm sure there are Ripple fans screaming uh, internally right now. So please do email me, um, Simon at 11FS.com, and we uh, will uh, get some of the best shows, uh, best comments read right R- out on the show. RIP
1: your inbox.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> hey, no, we lost um, the XRP army a long time ago. Um, <laughs> but if you're still out there, thank you for listening, and I hope you appreciate some uh, attempts at intellectual honesty. Um, Alrighty, um, moving away from the tweets. Uh, there's a really interesting article on getreview.co, um, and it's the top 10 narratives for not just pushing uh, JPMC's, uh, not just pushing my case, JPMC, um, as the special edition. Um, it raises the following uh, narratives. Um, so let's do a quick fire round. Is this a cryptocurrency? No. No. Uh, will money laundering become an
1: issue?
2: Uh, I don't think so in this case.
1: No, it's a network of parties that are KYC'd and, and known. RIP Ripple?
2: No, not yet.
1: Mm. <laughs> not not because of this. Uh, floodgates open, who will follow? Yeah, I think definitely.
2: Everyone and their mother.
1: Bitcoin killer? Uh, different use case, store value versus payment and settlement.
2: Yeah, my apples and apples, apples and pears analogy holds true.
1: We just started talking about fruit all
0: of a sudden. <laughs> I'm bringing it down to the common man. Hungry. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's hungry time. But so... Uh, What's your overarching narrative on this? If you had to take away one thing that I can use at my desk tomorrow, what's that thing? Or later today if I'm commuting into the office?
1: Well, I hope that uh, your desk is a security settlement desk. Uh Um, No, the takeaway is that there are very interesting uh, post-trade transactions, post-trade flows that you can uh, structure with a a um, blockchain-based asset, a Mm blockchain-based settlement asset. I think the possibilities are are really interesting, and I think we'll see this work its way into different different asset life cycles um, and different asset transaction um, life cycles and I, I think that um, you, you can do this on, on Quorum, you can do this elsewhere, but I think the, the concept of a stable coin, the, the, the usefulness of a stable coin is, uh, is actually going to be proved. And, and I think the more of these examples that you see, um, the, the sooner we'll, we'll see this being used in, in proof of concepts and, and uh, use cases that, that are really exciting.
2: Yeah, I think for me, it's think about what, how you would push a product out from a an MLP perspective, minimum level product. So if, if you're if you're looking at that and you think about how they've done it, they've done a stable coin, they've done a closed network. Um, I'm assuming, as I say, hopper back to the roadmap, but I'm assuming they're starting small. Um, they're starting with, uh, you know, clients who have already, as we've just mentioned, been kyc and known to the bank, et cetera. It's start, but it's hitting a use case. And the use case here is king. Um, a lot of people, I think, when this technology was first coming up and everyone was talking about it even people who weren't necessarily affiliated with blockchain working in those divisions in banks were like what could this do what can this do it could solve international payments that's a big big use case to solve Um, and I think what I quite like about this is that they've you know announced three use cases which everything everybody knows is viable um, if you could make the technology work and um, they've hit the MLP version of those three which I quite like
0: Colin Platt likes to talk about direct custody as well the ability for uh, you to not have to rely potentially on custodians and or um, counterparties, um, you know who the custodian of the asset is at any point. Like, I know what I see is the same as what you see, and we know who holds the asset, the settlement finality. So there's probably something interesting there as well.
1: Yeah, and I think that uh, another great thing that they did is they brought together internal customers and external customers, um, and they've, they've really made the business case work for the... Uh, people in the transaction who actually matter. It's it's a really powerful way to to do this, really powerful way to to move through innovation with something small, addressable, um, and and show the power of something like direct custody and knowing where your assets are at all points in
0: time. I think there's something interesting as well that uh, increasingly I've been having conversations in the last one or two months where um, some of the um, technology skeptics who've gone solution looking for a problem don't really get why I wouldn't use um, traditional tech for this have started to go... Oh, I get it now. And... The reality is you can still do everything with centralised tech. You could still do this all different ways, um, but the design patterns that start to get enforced get really, really interesting when you start thinking this way through. And, and you consider that there are banks that have announced central bank-backed digital currency initiatives. Then things start to get even more interesting, um, which, which made me think about the... Um, we, we've got a tweet coming up, but of course uh, your, your good colleague um, Anthony Lewis um, did put a, uh, on bits on block. Dot net, a gent- gentle introduction to money, um, which if if there's a lot of terms like a, atomic supplement flying around at you and all, all you know deposits versus cash versus blah blah blah, if all of those terms like broad money and narrow money, clearing banks, balance sheets, digital currency, it, those words come at you thick and fast. Uh, a gentle introduction to money is is a great place to
1: to go, uh, just kind of take a first principles look at this discussion. Uh, we like to nerd out a little bit more here. Yeah, uh, don't tell Anthony, but everything I know about broad and narrow money, I know from bitsonblocks.net. It is it is a gentle introduction, and he's got a lot of other good content on there as well.
0: Shout out to Anthony. Um, stories we didn't have time to cover, don't blame me. It's all JP Morgan's fault. Uh, Jamie Dimon, it's on you. And Ollie Harris, um, you know, you, you owe all of our listeners a beer. Um, <laughs> just kidding. Uh, com. Uh, Craig Wright uh, claims to be Satoshi in <laughs> critical response to the CFTC about Ethereum. Oh. <laughs> uh, the block dot crypto um new york stock exchange uh to sue the sec over a pilot that would shake up u.s stock market mm, interesting the block dot crypto binance delists five projects including salt lending uh which was a big name in the crypto space for quite some time there's um that's, that's a big story but you know jp morgan meant we couldn't cover it so you know blame jp morgan um everything is awesome all right uh, it's time for twitter of the week Tweet, 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 tweet. It's the Tweet of the Week. Tweet of the Week. So we've discussed a ton of great tweets, but um, we really love including our Tweet of the Week jingle um, because it has Petrick sounding awesome and Michael making him sound really, really interesting and weird. So guess what? Um, We saved our favorite tweet for last. And this comes from uh, Ari Paul, um, Ari David Paul on Twitter, who's worth following because his thoughts are always interesting whether I agree with them or not. Um, And this one definitely has got me thinking. Uh, So he he says that crypto fiat, i.e. government-controlled, permissioned cryptocurrencies, um, I guess in this case, uh, you you might want to call them digital currencies. You might want to call them tokens. Don't worry about the fact that he calls them cryptocurrencies. But government-controlled, permissioned tokens that represent real-world money will be the biggest battleground globally for human rights in the next decade. China is leading the way. Many other countries, including some big Western democracies, will follow. Uh, responding to uh, Niraj Agarwal saying, when cash is gone, where will you turn to transact with a basic level of privacy? Uh, I think this is an interesting risk to call out, right? If you are sitting in government or a bank, um, there's a real temptation to have a crypto asset where i can see everybody's transactions all of the time i can see what's happening in the money system like i could solve a load of crimes i could prevent a load of criminality i could potentially improve my policy i could um, lift people out of poverty if i understand where money's going better i like the data about how money moves could be hugely valuable but also um, i could completely invalidate people's privacy because i might know how everybody's spending so the real question becomes So, how is that going to be implemented? The question becomes about the how because um, not all uh, crypto assets are created equal.
2: But doesn't this data, or I mean, a lot of this data already exists. You just can't access it. Well, see, yeah, that's Uh, interesting. And so, in you know, he's taking a a long view on this. Um, But I mean, if you go out, you know, however many years it takes to get to this kind of um, this kind of state, you know, what's to say that the same, you know, same controls um same blockers would exist then as they do now just in a completely different form with a different completely different technology I'm, I'm interested to know uh and you sort of touched on it there simon his link between um yeah i guess no cash all the way and cryptocurrencies all the way through to human rights i'm struggling in my mind to make well, so, that link. so the interesting but-
0: thing about cash is it's used predominantly by the financially excluded um you know the the people who use it, it it's a it's a real financial inclusion uh kind of um, saviour for a lot of people it's (laughs) a lifeblood so if if i take cash away as i demonetize i do reduce criminality but i also increase poverty so it's a it's a complete double-edged sword cash is valuable to certain fringes of society who are struggling to make ends meet so you, um,
2: you you would do that if the same if the same methods of payment weren't to change between now so if you just took it away now yes completely agree but then if you think about again how methods of payment might evolve to this point and to a wider point um again would it be the same a lot there's a lot of ifs and buts i think that's the point of the tweet you could end up in a
0: a, a orwellian future in which in order to get state aid you have to get this digital currency and this digital currency spies on everything you do and you're not allowed to spend it you have no freedom you must spend it on these things and you can see how uh, a government like china which is already encouraging people to report uh, people near them who are in debt to the government oh, I
2: saw that. Yeah, um, yeah.
0: might be quite tempted for something like that so i can see where ari paul is coming from but i would also argue that um again bank of england working paper 605 there are different things you can do with crypto assets other and, and tokenizing fiat money and central bank issued digital currencies i think ari paul is assuming that um all crypto assets would be something that are used by consumers day to day on inside their mobile apps, which actually is where MUFG have started to go in Japan a little bit. But I don't think that in the in the West, at least, that's where the conversation is. The conversation much more on the institutional level.
1: Yeah. And uh, Ari is always uh, or it can be provocative, um, but always takes a long view and, and really like what he puts out. I think you touched on it. uh, You both did, which is that this is primarily a a business and a policy question rather than a technology question. You could still be wrestling with these same very important and, and very valid questions decades from now when the technology is totally fundamentally different. And I think we've spoken a lot on on the show today about being known to a bank, being known to someone being KYC'd. And of course, if you're excluded from the banking system, that's essentially a bunch of institutions that are saying they won't go through the work to know you. They won't go through the work to vet you. And and that is is is. a a business and policy question rather than a technology question i think
0: there's a cost question though right so and and there's also a privacy question so in zero knowledge proofs and in zcash and in quorum you have something around confidentiality that is net new that's often left out of the conversation uh you have to thread the needle here but you could imagine a world if we are able to uh do this correctly, in which we have the balance, uh, we can strike a balance between um, reducing state surveillance by default because the underlying systems are so terrible, you need all of the data to even figure out where there's criminality, to a system in which um, you, we transact in confidentiality, not necessarily privacy, but in confidentiality 99.9% of the time, but there are abstract patterns of transactions that are able to be investigated under a warrant. That I, I imagine would be acceptable to the overwhelming majority of society, albeit I imagine Jameson Lop would still find that an overreach.
1: Yeah, and I think I think you're right. And um, I mean, look, a quick shill for Corda Four, which is, will be released um, uh, in in the next week or so, um, and, and that is that we try to put as, as often as possible into the designs the ability to share information only on a transaction by transaction basis. And I think that concept, well, it it you know, is being implemented in steps um, is exactly what you're talking about. If you can share data only when you want to, only with the counterparties that you want to share data uh, with, and that's, that's hugely powerful
0: but if somebody knows where to get at that that's not both transacting parties and um, that in the event of a warrant could go back and investigate that like a regulator like somebody else you know you've got this fundamental problem that post financial crisis we had all of the data we just didn't know what any of it meant um, so there's there's that question um, and there's the question about well does this give us something that we can make sense of and you've always got that sort of well if uh, you know, Shout out to Rich Crook. He always talks about, well, that's because bank number one and bank number two had two different copies of the exact same thing that didn't agree with each other. So the regulator becomes like the man with two clocks. He can't tell the time. Right this funda- atomic settlement and settlement fina- finality fundamentally starts to solve that problem. And that for the ability to identify what's happening in the economy is, is hugely beneficial. But even like, so I was talking to somebody who's saying that post-MIFID two, banks have started to look at the data that they had to provide to regulators and have gone, oh, I can use this to learn about my clients. Yeah. Oh, I can. So imagine what this would do. I think that's really yeah.
1: exciting. Oh, and inside a network, if you're able to see... Uh, transaction uh, uh, values and volumes, even if you don't know who the counterparties are or what they're transacting for, um, that would be a, a hugely powerful tool in uh, forming monetary policy. Um, central bankers around the world are are always looking at the velocity of money um, and and using that to better target the right interest rate, better target the right um, way to either uh, quantitatively ease or or restrict the money supply. Um, so I think that's another powerful tool. I think how it's implemented. Um, from a, from a policy level will really, um, be. Be what decides whether this is a force for good or not. Let's see.
0: Alrighty, um, that brings us to the end of the show. Just to remind you all, this podcast is, of course, made by us at Eleven FS, and we are the Challenger Consultancy that doesn't really like the C word, um, but we're working to shape the next generation of financial services. Adam, do you want to have a go at describing what it is we actually do?
2: Yeah, we should do a uh, like a, a poll on this to see how can we pr- replace yeah, the what, C what's or the word with something There's something. Yeah, I think David we, actually tweeted something about it. Like, give us your ideas, but we haven't come up with a decent
0: one. We stuff that's real but we don't just sit around strategizing it's like how do you take a startup approach to building products and services and say that in one word one word
2: (laughs) it's hard it's hard um yeah value proposition builders that's like three but we need to get that down to one any ideas, send them through to Simon's e- email
0: Simon at 11FS.com. <laughs> Already. Um, and if you want to hear more Blockchain Insider every single Thursday, the subscribe button's right there. Um, look, give us those five star reviews. They help us out so much. And, and tell a friend who uh, might be interested in banking or financial services, what we do. And also, if there's any other industries around that, maybe some of the corporates that would be using this, get in touch and let us know what we should be covering. Already. Um, David, where can people find out more about you?
1: Thanks, guys. You can find me at david.nickel at arthur dot com or on twitter at nickel right now hey like that Uh, adam how about yourself
2: uh twitter adam d8 and 11fs in general uh Adam Adam at 11FS.com. Almost Uh, forgot my email address there.
0: By the way, we now have the Twitter handle at 11FS, 11FS. How cool is that? That is very cool. Um, You need to be following that if you're on Twitter. Just saying. A big thank you to our amazing production team here at 11FS, producer Petra and Alex, our editor. Thank you for listening. We'll have more Blockchain Insider next week and every week. Goodbye for now.